Well, are you ready to get back into the book of Ephesians this morning? Yeah. Amen. We're coming to the end. I'm promising. You know, somebody asked me. They said, Pastor Mark, would you do me a favor? I said, what is it? They said, when you're done with Ephesians, would you just start back at the beginning and re-preach it? And I said, here's the deal. We could do that. I think I could spend the rest of my entire pastoral ministry just preaching, because we've been in here over three calendar years now, but we've, basically it's going to be about 40 to 45 sermons total um, that we've broke up into segments. And um, it just addresses pretty much everything that we need to know about living the Christian life. And so we're, going to, we're getting this very last section here that we would call the armor of God. Matter of fact, maybe you've done Bible studies that before. But um, we're on the section that, that uh, is just the, the asterisk at the end of the letter. Paul's dealing with this topic of spiritual warfare at the very end of the letter. And, and it's very important that we put it in context of the whole big picture of his letter. Otherwise, it's easy to pull it out of context and try to make it say some things that it never was intended to say. And so we've been trying to address that over the last number of weeks, and we'll deal with it for a couple more weeks, and then we'll, we'll be done and we'll, we'll move on. And so what we find is this kind of this little section at the end of Ephesians, we're saying it's an asterisk, saying, oh yeah, there's something else I want to mention before I close. That's been happening is Paul has been writing about this wonderful life uh, that, that is available to us in Christ. And here's the deal. There is a wonderful life that God has for every person on the planet. And it's tied to walking with him um, in, this, in this healthy relationship. Lives of, of transformation. Going from being filled with hate to being filled with love. Lives of, of transformation that, that just make us look not like this world around us, but make us literally be like Jesus. Because Jesus is the model of the perfect person. And Ephesians have been saying, here's what it looks like to be like Jesus. This life of transformation. Um, this life of transformation that then leads to loving unity among Jesus' family. Um, where Jesus becomes our forgiver, and our friend. Imagine, that's what it's talking about. Jesus becoming all of our forgiver and our friend. Getting on this side of this part of life, a little taste of heaven. That's what he's been talking about. Then in this last verse, Paul says, and oh, by the way, this last couple verses, oh, by the way, the devil is going to try to stop any of this good stuff from being accomplished among you. That's what this section we're in is. It's him saying, you know what, God's got this great plan, but the devil is going to try to hinder it. He is fighting against God, and he's fighting against anyone that God loves. So in this final section, Paul says, you know what, sure the devil is fighting against you. He's trying real hard to destroy you so he can destroy the the plan of God, but this is the message from there. Don't worry about it, because God has given you everything you need to win. That's the real message of this section we call the armor of God. That sure, the devil is real and the devil's fighting, but God has given you everything that you need to win. And that's what these, these final verses are all about. Helping us to understand how we can stand firm, that's the way he says it, stand firm and not be defeated by the schemes of the devil. How God's plan can be accomplished and the devil's plan for destruction can be defeated. So let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say about this. Um, on how we can win the fight. So open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read just two verses, moving on in our, in our text today. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read just the verses 13 and 14. 
Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done, so he's saying the days are evil, and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So let's look at this. God has given us what we need to win. The first thing that I think we should notice here is that we all have an active role in the spiritual battle that is going on around us. Look what Paul says here. Paul instructs us to take up the full armor of God so that your pastor will be able to resist in the evil day. Isn't that what it says? I put, take up the full armor of God so that the deacons will be able to resist in the evil day. That's not what it says at all, is it? It says you take up your armor so that you will be able to resist. Paul places the responsibility of spiritual warfare square, squarely on our individual shoulders. He's saying you will be able to resist. Imagine this. He's saying not only you say oh, I have responsibility, you have empowerment. He's saying you will be able to resist. It doesn't say that someone else will fight for you. It says that you will fight for yourself and it is possible for you to be able to resist. And this makes perfect sense when we understand the battle that we're in. The battle that we're in, that we've been talking about over the last number of weeks, this battle is an individual battle for our minds, for our thinking, that leads to corporate dysfunction or disunity if we, if we give in to it. The enemy's tactic is to derail individuals, and they in turn then derail the plan of God in a corporate sense. So let me give you an example of how this spiritual warfare works, show you this, how, how common it is and how simple it is on what he's trying to do and what we have to fight against. And so this is the example. Portview Church is going great. Things are awesome around here. Portview Church is going great. We are healthy. We are caring. We are generous. We are open to meet people's needs. We are growing and we are strong. That's us corporately. And that's an honest appraisal of where we're at as a church. Amen? Amen. But let's say some division occurs. One person hurts another person some way, does something inappropriate, swindles them, lies about them, does something. One person hurts some, one person, and those parties, those two people, refuse to forgive and to reconcile. Now, why would they refuse to forgive and reconcile? They refuse to forgive and reconcile, not because God's not saying in His Word and by His Spirit, you should forgive. He is. It would be the enemy lying to them, saying, you have your rights, don't you dare do that. How dare they, they do this to you? And the enemy stirring up, the devil stirs up the dissension. In fact, what could happen is those people then begin to make the situation bigger than it originally was, by running around to other people within Portview Church, and this is not going on right now, this is totally hypothetical, at least I'm not aware of it, run around to other people in the, in the group, and they begin to put this, this other person down and fight about this person and get people to take their sides, and they, they build teams with one another, and there becomes factions. 
It could be over a hundred different things. Think of church history. Fighting over worship styles or fighting over the kind of the translation someone reads. All the things. Fighting over the color of the carpet. Whatever it is. Now maybe the situation never goes beyond just a handful of people. It's ten people involved. Five against five. You say, well, it's not that big of a deal. We're a big church. We can absorb that. Well, let's look at the reality. What has really just happened? This is what's happened. The plan of God for His church to be a place of forgiveness and reconciliation where people are growing in Christ's likeness and are striving for love and unity, that plan has been hindered. It's not what it could be. It's not what it should be. There's a part of the church body that is in disunity and being unloving and not living in or extending grace. And therefore, according to the big picture of Ephesians, they're not now reflecting the glory of God anymore. Which remember, that was the goal. We love and we become this great loving community so that we reflect the glory of God. The individuals who are not acting according to God's ways are affecting the whole church. That's why Paul addresses this to the individual. He knows that, that my need to resist the devil's scheme is vital to the health of the whole body. And that your need to recognize and resist the devil's scheme isn't just about you being happy or blessed or not being happy or blessed. It's also about your effect on the kingdom of God as a whole, in particular in the function of a local church or in a family. That's how it works. So the first thing that I see that Paul addresses here is we're moving on in this idea of spiritual warfare, this idea that, um, that this is something that should be important to everyone. So none of us can say, well, that stuff's not important to me. If you're a Christian, God's intention is for you to be in the body of Christ, and therefore this is important to all of us. Does that make sense? Amen. So if the person next to you is sleeping, nudge them and say, hey, this is for you, because it really is. Now, the next thing that I see is that the method in this idea of spiritual warfare, and this is where there might be some people go, oh, that's not really what I've ever heard before, and I've kind of hit on this a little bit in the last couple of weeks. The next thing that I see is that the method, remember we talked about week one, the method of the devil? That the method of the devil is to lie and to slander? Well, we have a method here that he talks about our method. The next thing that I see is that the method of our warfare, warfare is primarily resisting. It's primarily standing firm. Now, I need to put a little, a little parenthesis in here. Remember that we talked about last week, this section of Ephesians, Paul is talking about living free and staying free. Last week, we dealt with the idea that you have to get free first in order to live free and stay free. So we're talking about in the context of what Paul is dealing with here, saying that a person in Christ who's living free, there's a way to live where you live free and stay free. If you want to talk about the getting free part, listen to the sermon on the podcast from last week. So the primary method of warfare is resisting. It's standing firm. And this may be different than what some people think about when they think about spiritual warfare. For some, when they think about warfare, they're thinking about this idea of them going to battle and assaulting demons and tearing down um, demonic and evil strongholds over their family and over areas that they're going to battle and they're tearing these things down. 
They think that they're going to go to a mountaintop and they're going to cast Satan out of, of an area to break his control over an area. They think that's what spiritual warfare is all about. Where does that come from? Where does that idea ever come from that that's what spiritual warfare is all about? Well, I think it comes from taking Scripture out of context. And I'm going to show you what I mean. Grab your Bible. Turn just a few pages back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Because here's what you've got to watch out when you read Scripture. And it's why you need to know the whole counsel of God. And when you listen to sermons, you need to take it and always, always bring it into the whole counsel of God to say, is what's being taught right? Because a lot of people, good-hearted but, but misdirected, take one verse, they take it out of context, they preach a whole sermon and build a theology on it, and then that, and then that becomes what people believe, and it doesn't line up with the, with the Scripture. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's start by doing this. Let's just read verse 4. Okay? Verse 4 says this. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Some of you say are not carnal. But divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Some of you say for the pulling down of strongholds. It really means the same thing. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of of fortresses. Now, if we just read that verse right there on its own, what does that say about spiritual warfare? And I've heard, I've heard more sermons than I can count. Take that verse and preach a whole sermon on it. What does that say about our spiritual warfare? I would say, guess what? It is, spiritual warfare is about destroying fortresses, about tearing down strongholds. And we'd say, okay, so that's what, that's what it's all about. And so one reads this. And then they, and I'm serious when I say this, and they climb a mountain, because for some reason they always say go to the high places, climb a mountain over some city and declare in Jesus' name that all the spiritual strongholds over that area are broken. Now, have you ever heard people talk like that? Lots of heads nodding, yes. That's, that's a pretty common view of spiritual warfare. As a matter of fact, a lot of times we elevate the people who do that and say, oh my goodness, they're so spiritual. Oh, they're so spiritual, they're doing this, they're, they're, they're fighting the devil. They're, they're doing it. Now, let's do something that's dangerous, okay? Want to do something dangerous? Let's read it in context. Start in verse 1 with me. We're just going to read five verses. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Wow, meek and gentle. I am, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against someone who regards us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, or tearing down strongholds. We are destroying every speculation. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, in the big picture, even bigger picture than those five verses, what is Paul dealing with here in 2 Corinthians? This is what he's dealing with. There were some people in the Corinthian church who are challenging Paul's 
authority. They're saying, you're not really an apostle. Who do we have, why do we have to listen to you? They were challenging his authority. And what they were doing is they were undermining the gospel. And Paul in this section is saying that he wanted them to change so he didn't have to confront them face to face when he came. He says, listen, I write these letters and when I write these letters, you say, man, that guy is powerful and he's bold and he's strong. And he says, do this and don't do that. But when we meet him face to face, he's kind of timid and meek. And he goes and he says in verse one, I'm being like Jesus. I'm timid and meek. I'm being like Jesus. He says, but I, I confront you powerfully in my letters, which was what first Corinthians is all about. Paul confronts them powerfully in a letter saying, listen, there's all kinds of sexual immorality in your church. There's an abuse of the gifts of the Spirit. And that's what 1 Corinthians is all about. He's writing a letter to a bunch of people who are charismaniacs that are, that, that the word, that the, 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 they were using the gifts of the Spirit completely wrong to elevate a bunch of people saying that they were super Christians because they had certain gifts. And Paul is assaulting that and saying, that's not true, but in face to face, he's meek. And he goes, he's basically saying this, if you want me to come in and kick your butt in person, I will. But I'd rather that you listen to me in my letters so when I come face to face, I can just be gentle with you. That's the whole context. And what was the battle then? What does it say the battle is in that context? He says, I'm tearing down speculations, lofty thoughts raised against the knowledge of God. What is the, what is the battle? They were the beliefs, the, the area was for the beliefs and the false ideas that these people had, that they had. They were believing wrong things about Paul and wrong things about God and wrong things about the gospel, and they were preaching a false gospel. And so how does Paul say here the battle was fought? He says they were taking the thoughts captive. Right godly thinking leading to right action. The battle was for right thinking of the people. It's not about tearing down demonic strongholds over people or over areas. Now, do we understand that ultimately Satan is the one feeding false ideas? Yes. That's but the, he's talking about the battlefield of the mind. Tearing down speculations, false ideas that people have that are causing division in the church. So Paul writes a bold letter and says, listen, if you want me to come in boldness face to face, I'll confront this face to face. But I want to be meant, I want to be gentle with you. So just listen, get it right now. Understand that you believe some lies. And here's the truth. That's what he's dealing with here. That's why it's dangerous to put it in context because all of a sudden the lofty sermons about all the crazy stuff don't hold water anymore. That's what he's dealing with. So, two comments about this, what I would call a false view of spiritual warfare. One is this, the one of this, you know, you're going and tearing down these demonic strongholds that somehow now Satan is rendered impotent in the whole community and he can't do stuff and the kingdom of God is going to advance in a different way instead of saying the way it's going to advance is through individual people dealing with the battle inside their own heart and mind and living right lives that then develops right churches that then affects a community. You see the difference, what I'm saying? So why, why this... Do I want to deal with this? This idea, I think, which I think is a false view of spiritual warfare. Number one, because I've never seen it work. Many have tried. They've gone to the high places. They've gone to. There's been all kinds of movements. We're going to the big metro places of America, and we're going to all get together, and we're all going to pray to tear down the strongholds. Well, let me ask you a question: Is evil still alive and well? Hear about the little six-year-old boy? who was shot this weekend in Milwaukee and killed in the head? You hear about that? 
How many people were shot and killed or shot in Chicago last weekend? Ridiculous. How many people? How many in Milwaukee? How many people are in life-controlling issues um, that is destroying their lives? Too many to count. Let me ask you a question. Did it work? Oh, I'm just binding up Satan and he can't do anything over Port Washington anymore. Is evil alive and well in Port Washington? Yes. Are you, are, 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 is there any question about that? Yes, it is alive and well. How does the Apostle Paul deal with that idea? He simply says, the days are evil. So we read in the text at the beginning. He says the days are evil. He doesn't say we will win some spiritual war where evil will cease. Now remember, what I'm not saying, from the last two weeks we've said this, I am saying there's a battle. And I am saying we win it. I'm just saying the battleground is different than we sometimes have been led to believe of where the battle is fought. The battle is fought in here. That's where the battle is fought. For individual souls. So first reason that I just don't believe, I believe it's just stuff taken out of context and that it's just a wrong view is number one, I haven't seen it work. And I've been around this, this you know, the, the charismatic world now for 30 years and I haven't seen it work. Number two, why don't I think that view is correct? Because Paul doesn't describe living spiritually free, which he's talking about here. He does not describe living spiritually free as offensive meaning going after the devil and defeating him. He describes spiritual warfare as us living in such a way that the devil's schemes are rendered impotent, not giving the devil inroads into our lives. He's teaching us that we can resist and we can stand firm against anything that the devil can throw at us. So we don't have to worry. We can live with the armor of God and we will be just fine. Friends, here's the reality. It's not our place to destroy the devil. Um, When Jesus was confronted by the devil, Jesus is God. Jesus could have just said to the devil, be dead. Boom, over and done with. He didn't do that. He resisted him. Oh, you say this, I say that. It's not our place to destroy the devil. You know why? Somebody has the place to do that. Whose place is it to destroy the devil? God the Father. The, the Trinity. And they will, they, Scripture shows us, looking forward to what's ahead, there is a day that God will completely destroy evil, cast it in the lake of fire, throw it away forever. It's going to come. But that's God's job, and Scripture really clearly says that. It says He's going to do that. That's His job. He's going to do that. At a time and a place when He says, this is right because it's accomplished my ultimate purposes for all of humanity and beyond that, for all of the cosmos. See what our our place is? Our place is to grow in grace and godliness so that the devil cannot deceive us into being part of hindering the plan of God. Friends, that's the truth right there. Our place is to grow in grace and godliness so that the devil cannot deceive us into being party to hindering the plan of God. Eve was deceived into being part of hindering the plan of God. And so have every one of us at times. Our place is to grow in grace and godliness so that doesn't happen. That we don't hinder the plan of God, which is to create a church filled with love and unity and diversity that shines 
like something that the world has never seen before. So that people say, you're people who care and your God is amazing. We must always bring it back, friends, to the big picture. God in Christ is developing this wonderful, incredible thing called the church. A place unlike any other where forgiveness reigns, love is given freely, where people are maturing in Christ's likeness. This is what the devil is seeking to destroy. This is the target of his attacks. He wants to destroy the church by destroying the individuals that make up the church. Now by destroy, I don't mean kill or maim. He can't do that. His destruction comes when he's able to get people, you and I, good people, to live in addiction, to live in selfishness, to live in greed, to live in fear, to live in bigotry, to live in partisanship. Things that destroy loving unity. Things that destroy the plan of God for His church. Paul is telling us that God has given us all we need to resist Satan's scheming so that we are not party to his divisiveness. Does that make sense? That's what it is. And I know it's a little different picture than a lot of times has been painted about spiritual warfare. This isn't nearly as sexy. This isn't nearly as like out there, wow, it's really complicated and you need special giftings to do it. This is real life. And so, but this is what Scripture says it is. And this is the battle we won. This is the battle I want you and me to be equipped to win. So that you can stand firm against any assault that the enemy has against you. And because it doesn't work to just say, we're going to go bind Satan over Port Washington and he's not going to attack anymore. Um, I know this, Satan's going to attack you today. And tomorrow. And the day after. And the day after. And the day after. But God says, don't sweat it. I'm going to give you what you need to stand firm. And then he says this, I'm going to give you what you need to stand firm. And what's he say? So he repeats this. He says, so then just stand firm. Didn't like the way he says that? I'll give you what you need to stand firm. Now just stand firm. He says, you can do it. All of us. That's what the various parts of the armor of God are all about. They are attitudes and beliefs and values that we stand upon and that we never give up on in the face of continual temptation and deception from the devil. That's what the armor of God are. Their attitudes, their beliefs, their values that we stand upon and we never give up upon in the face of the continual assault from the enemy. So the devil does not have an inroad into our lives that can be used to harm us or to harm others through us. So here's what I want to do in the time we have left today. You're going to go, wow, you're going to jump into this next section. Just briefly, one thing. So let's see how these various pieces of armor help us to stand firm. Because all, all well and good to say, this is what they're about, but now let's say, now and in the coming weeks, but how do we practically apply this to our lives? So let's see how these various pieces of armor help us stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The first one, Paul lists, and we read it earlier. Because he says, gird your loins with truth. Some of your translations say it a little, make, maybe make a little more sense to you. Put on the belt of truth. Now here's the deal in the armor of God. A lot of people make a lot of, a lot of um, points about the various things, the belt, 
of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. I personally don't think that the actual armor piece has a whole lot of significance. So some will disagree with me, and that's fine. I'm not saying I'm 100% right. I just don't see a lot of significance. They'll try to say, well, this belt touches this part of your body. I don't. I think Paul is doing this. He's thinking about a Roman soldier, and he's saying, you guys know all the armor they wear, and you've got to understand this is, this is your armor. It is pr- almost all just protective armor to keep you from being assaulted so you can stand firm against the wiles of the enemy. So he's just saying, ah, think about the belt. Think about the breastplate. Now, if somebody wants to draw connections between the actual part and that, that's fine. I just personally don't see it as that significant. So what I see as significant here is he says, put on the belt of truth. What I see as significant is truth. That's the, that's the weapon he's talking about here. That's the part of armor. It's truth. Put on the belt of truth. Truth as a means of resisting the schemes of the devil. Now, what in the world does he mean here? Well, we're going to do a dangerous thing. We're going to put it in context again. He's talking about the need to stand on the truth Capital T truth, God kind of truth in our lives. You say, well, how do I know what it is? It's all of the things that he's been writing about in the previous chapters. He says all of this. Here's all this stuff I've been telling about being in Christ. And he says, now, live by that truth. That's really what he's saying here. We need to know and stand upon the truth. Really, and Ephesians does it this way. The truth about God, the truth about ourselves, and the truth about others. You see, the devil's scheme is to lie in the slander. We settled that a couple weeks ago. So that you will hold wrong beliefs about these various things that Paul deals with in Ephesians. He will want you to believe things like this, that God doesn't really love you or like you and only loves you or likes you when you act in certain good ways, turning relationship into religion. He will want you to believe that you are valueless and worthless or the opposite, that you are superior to everybody and no one else really matters. He will want you to believe that others are better than you and so you can't do anything, or worse than you, so you're better than them at everything, which brings separation. He'll want you to believe these kinds of lies. These are all lies that divide. They are all opposed to the truth of God revealed. Listen, friends, the truth of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ through the Word of God. That's how you know what truth is. What is truth? It is revealed through the person of Jesus Christ, through the Word of God. Church, we know the truth. It's revealed in Jesus, through the Word of God, the Bible. I am seeing an assault on the Bible and the inerrancy of Scripture in this day more than any time in my entire life. I can't believe the assault I'm seeing on it. People saying, well, what does it mean to believe the Bible? evangelical saying, what does it mean to believe the Bible? I'm telling you, friends, we can know the truth. Capital T, truth. Truth is absolute. And the absolute truth is revealed in Jesus through God's Word, the Bible. So if you want to understand everything about the entire Bible, from Genesis 1-1 to the last verse of Revelation, you look at it through the lens of Jesus. Because Jesus came, as the, it says in Scripture, as the exact representation of God. He is God. And when you want to understand the whole big picture, you look at Jesus. And you say, read it through the lens of Jesus. And say, what does this mean? What does this truth that's revealed here? So the way we resist the devil is to base our lives upon the truth revealed in Jesus through the Bible. In Jesus, we see the truth that we are loved and valuable. 
We see the truth that God, God's love is unconditional. We see the truth that all people matter to God. We see the truth that God wants us to grow into the likeness of Himself, into Jesus. We're supposed to become more like Him. Living by truth is living in accordance with these realities. Let me give you an example, a very simple example, but one that's, that's endemic in our world today. Why do you think, and this isn't the only reason, I'm being overly simplistic here, okay? So I'll say, well, that's not, I know someone, it didn't work that way. I'm being, I'm being very general here. Why do many people get into addictive and destructive behaviors? Drugs, excess alcohol, promiscuity, things where it's clear you could say they're losing the spiritual battle. You know, then they're rocket scientists to say they're, they're making bad choices, they're losing the battle with the enemy. Why? I think there's one generally undergirding reason, and it comes to do with not believing truth. Often, it's because they don't believe the truth that they are unconditionally loved by God and that they are beautiful and valuable and that they really do matter to God and to other people, that they're they're important and valued. And because they believe the lie, they, they feel that they are worthless and they're not worth loving, they're unlovely, and so what do they do in response? They medicate the pain, which leads to destruction. And you say, well, you're making a big leap here. One month ago about, Teen Challenge stood on this platform. We bring Teen Challenge every single year. If you were here for the service, you could boil down every one of their stories to that message. Matter of fact, if you want a reason to understand why God holds marriage so high in a culture that holds marriage so low... Almost every one of the people stood here and said, well, my parents got divorced. And little kids, they think it's their fault. They don't have brains yet developed that can understand it. My parents got divorced, or my dad did this, or I was molested by a parent, or molested by an uncle. Whatever happened, this happened, and I felt so unworthy, and I couldn't take the pain. So as I grew, the way I learned to deal with the pain was it started by, by drinking, then it started by smoking grass, and then it started by, started by shooting heroin. And it went on and on and on, and all of a sudden now I'm locked in addiction, and now they're standing up in front of us. People, and here's the amazing thing, the people weren't from, you know, inner city, ghetto, wherever. They were from Wapaka. They were from Grafton. They were from small town USA. And they were saying, and this is what happened, I was broken and empty inside. I didn't think I had any value. And the way I dealt with my pain is that I I turned to something that would medicate the pain. Now, it doesn't always end up being that they turn to something like like, um, drugs or alcohol. They could turn to just be thoroughly and throw themselves in. I'm going to make a million dollars and my career is going to be everything. I got to stop feeling the pain, so I'm going to jump into something else. But friends, that's, that's a general example of how this happens if we don't believe truth. That's the devil's ploy. If they don't know and stand upon the truth, and and it starts with the truth of who God is and the truth of who they are, then they are vulnerable to to Satan's deception and his destruction, and they believe his lies and they go his ways. That's the battle. Does that make sense? That's the battle. So the spiritual warfare of truth is knowing and believing what Jesus says is true and living according to that, not according to the lies of the devil. When you live by truth, this is what happens. You close the door 
on the devil's entry points. That's the warfare. You close the door, he can't enter here. You close the door, he can't enter there. That's the warfare. You're standing firm, you close the door, he can't enter there. When you live according to the armor of God, which are these beliefs and values and truths that you stand upon and you build your life upon. Friends, this makes a big case for all of our need. Remember the very first point today? It's why I started off the first point saying, and this is about you as an individual. Okay? This is why I'm making that, why you start there. Because this makes a big case for all of our need to then know the truth of God. To spend time getting to know Jesus revealed through the Bible and knowing Him in prayer and contemplation. I'm telling you, you don't just know Jesus by listening to one 30-minute message on Sunday morning. This is only supposed to help you a little bit. God designed it that way, set, away, set aside one day in seven for, for worship and rest so that we would have like a, like a major download one time a week. But it's an everyday deal. It's every day with Jesus. So this makes a big case for our need to spend time getting to know Jesus revealed through the Bible. I read something this week, that last week I think, that at first I reacted against it very negatively. But it speaks to this point. I was reading it from, it's from an author I read almost every day because he challenges me. I don't agree with a bunch of his stuff, but he's a mystic and I read him because it challenges that I'm such a logical guy. That I had to, I got to be open to this kind of this flow of the spirit, and and so I read this guy, and he's talking about truth, and he's talking about immature religion, and he's talking about immature world religions, and he says the problem with immature religion is that it just always appeals to authority. He said authority either the Bible or authority of tradition, and at first I went, well, of course we do. I mean, I'm, I actually said it out loud as I'm reading it. You don't do that, but I do. I'm talking to my iPad. Of course we do. We appeal to authority. God's Word says that that settles it. I believe it. But then I had to read the next sentence. He said, the problem is we don't take that and hold it before Jesus in prayer and say, what are you really saying to me here? And I thought, he's right. Because I thought immediately about the text we looked at a few weeks ago about Jesus being tempted by the enemy. And what did, this, what did the devil do? The devil did what we so often do in the church. He just quotes a verse and says, this is what it means. But the Bible says, so Jesus jumped off the pillar. The Bible says, so Jesus turned the stone, turned the stone into bread. Jesus says no. Because he sat with the Lord. He was the Lord. And he said, but the scripture also says, because he understood the scriptures rightly. So here's my point. It's not just about reading the Bible or hearing some verses on Sunday morning or having your one minute, you know, little Bible in your pocket, your little scripture in your pocket and saying that's enough. I'm saying it takes knowing the word of God revealed in the person of Jesus and the way you do that as you live a contemplative life where you sit with Jesus. You sit with him. You spend time with the Lord. You, so here's the deal. We so many times say, well, prayer. We think of prayer. We think of prayer as some, some, some difficult thing. We have to, an obligation of asking God for a hundred things. That's not prayer. That's immature prayer. Prayer sitting and listening. Prayer sitting with the Scriptures and saying, God, just speak to me. It's great that we read the Bible from cover to cover, and we need to do that, but we also need to learn the contemplative life of just sitting with the Lord, with His Word. Spending time getting to know Jesus revealed through the Bible and experienced by the Holy Spirit in our lives. Listen to me here. And that's why the devil's scheme 
is to keep us way too busy and way too preoccupied with everything else. And we can make every excuse in the world and say, but you don't understand my business. You don't understand my kids' responsibilities. You don't understand this. The devil's ploy is to make us too busy with work and apparently really important activities and play. So that we're constantly running somewhere, doing something that basically usually sucks the life out of us anyways. And we're never having time to learn and to own God's truth for ourselves. We just then have to settle for believing the lies that society and media teach us. Because we spend way more time with that than we do sitting with the Lord. Now that's not a way of condemnation. I'm not saying that, nor am I saying I got this whole thing figured out. But I'm learning that for health, I just have to be a person who slows down, builds margin into my life, turns off the radio, turns off the TV, turns off the Christian music, and sits with Jesus for periods of time in every day of my life. See, the scripture says the truth will set you free. And the way it does that is by revealing to you God's perspectives, God's values, and then allowing you to resist the lies that the devil wants to use to hinder you. Lies opposed to God's truth. So this is, friends, how warfare works. The devil, the liar, has access into our lives when our lives are out of sync with God's values and God's ways. So God gives us what we need to shut the door on the devil's activity in our lives. That's what winning the battle is all about. And in this first example that the Apostle Paul gives, it's about truth. How knowing the truth about God and self and others will allow us to thrive and give the enemy no access or limited access into our hearts. In the coming weeks, we're going to look at the other weapons that have been given to us to render the devil powerless. But for today, let's commit to knowing truth, to being people of truth, the truth of God revealed to us in Jesus through the Word of God that we commit to knowing that, that we make a decision to spend time with Jesus. We make a decision, and friends, it doesn't happen without a decision. We make a decision in our lives to say, you know what, there's some things that are more important than others. And you say, Pastor Mark, you sound like a broken record when you say that. I will sound like a broken record till the day I die saying this stuff to you, because that's my job, is to help us understand that there's a better way than the culture around us. Make the decision to choose best over okay. You know what? Choose our formation classes this fall um, to help you learn truth. Choose Trek this year to help you break free from some of the lies that you believe about your past. Choose classes that will help you understand what, what God says is really true about Himself as opposed to the things that you believe and that you think are true. Make time to meditate on God's Word starting today. Spend some time sitting and enjoying the beauty of God. When was the last time you just sat by our beautiful lake? And instead of wanting to do something, you just sat and you, you talked to the Lord. And you said, and you, you, you marveled at His creation. And you interacted with Him through that. Friends, that's what God offers to us. And I promise you that is the best way to live. That is the good and beautiful life that God has for us because then we close the doors 
on the assaults of the enemy. He's going to keep assaulting, but we close his access point. So that's what spiritual warfare is all about. The next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the rest of the parts of the armor of God and say, okay, how do these help me close the doors? But for today, it's truth. Let's make a commitment to being people of the Word of God, people of contemplation in prayer with Jesus, people of just spending time with the Lord. Does that make sense? Amen. Stand with you this morning. The, the call to be people of truth is, it's, it's always going to be there. I don't, I don't know what I don't know. And so I ask the Lord all the time, show me what I don't know. And I'm, hopefully I'm going to keep on learning till the day I die. And I, and I want you to be learners like that also. And so today as we close, I want you to just to offer it up to the Lord. And say, God, I don't know what I don't know. And how do you want me to learn? How do you, what do you want me to do? And there's probably some commitments, some decisions that would have to be made in that. And I challenge you. Don't, don't waste a moment. You know, you got out of bed. You could have went to the lake today. You could have just went out for a nice breakfast. Instead, you chose the best thing. Don't waste the moment. Don't waste this opportunity when the Spirit is speaking to you. Here's a pretty normal spiritual warfare tactic of the enemy. Now make you run away really quick and forget what God is dealing with you on. Because right now there's probably some discomfort inside of some of us. There isn't me. There's some discomfort. The discomfort is the loving discomfort of Jesus by the Spirit saying, I want you to make some decisions today on saying this is the life I want to live. And so, before you run off, just spend some time sitting with Jesus and allow and just make some decisions on, on the life you want to live with Him. And there's one other thing before you walk away. Maybe you're here today and you've never come to terms with the truth that God is real, that He loves you and He likes you, and He wants to have a relationship with you. Meaning, He wants to really be he wants to be your, your forgiver and your friend. Here's the, here's the truth of Scripture. He's here right now for you. He's here. And he's, he's welcoming you into his family. And if you say, you know what, Pastor Mark, it's, it's that time. I know, I, I know I'm ready to turn to Jesus. I want to give you a chance to do that I'm going to invite us before we all individually have our own times of prayer. I want to invite the whole church as we're standing just to close our eyes and bow our heads this morning. Let's just have a private moment because really, yes, we live in a corporate sense, but as we've been talking about our individual sense, our individual lives have a big part to play in that. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Mark, I, am, I, I need Jesus as my forgiver and my friend. I've not really lived a life where I've asked, welcomed Him in and today I understand some new truth. I understand that Jesus is here for me right now and He's calling me. That's what's happening, the Scriptures say. He's calling you to Himself. And something's going on inside of you and maybe you've experienced it before and you've resisted it or maybe you've never experienced it before today but what's going on is you're just something inside of you is saying... I need Jesus. Maybe you knew Jesus and you walked away from Him. 
but you're saying, I need Jesus, and it's, it's real and it's inside of you. That's not manipulation. I've done nothing to manipulate that. That is the proof, the reality, that the Holy Spirit is here right now and He's speaking to you because He loves you. I want to give you a chance to respond to that this morning. And so as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and you're saying, Pastor Mark, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. I need Him as my forgiver. I want Him as my friend. And so right now I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to welcome Him into my life and I want to turn away from my old life. And I want to welcome Jesus as my forgiver, my Savior, and my friend, the one who leads me through the rest of my life. I'm ready to do that today, to take the first step. If that's you, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want you to do something bold between you, me, and God, because no one else is looking around. If you raise your hand up high, and when I see your hand, I'm going to tell you to put it down. Just say yes, Pastor Mark. Praise the Lord. Yes. Yes to Jesus. Well, Father, thank You so much. Thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. Thank You, Lord, for truth. And we pray now, God, that as we allow You to reveal Yourself in truth to us, that, God, in all these ways that You show us how You want us to live, that, Lord, doors will be closed to the enemy. The truth of choosing best over okay the truth of not making excuses anymore that say, yeah, yeah, I'm way too busy for the things of God. That today might be a day we make some some real life decisions to make some change in our life that will shut the door on the enemy. So Lord, now I pray for this church family, all of us, God, and I pray, God, help us now as your children to live victorious lives in the truth of your love. And Lord, help us to walk in the good and beautiful life that you have laid out for your church. Lord, let your blessings and your grace rest upon this church family.